Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck, coming to you live from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company here in Pittman, New Jersey, located inside the beautiful Total Turf Complex, South Jersey's premier sports and entertainment complex. Uh, joined by Dr. Frey, as always. Dr. Frey, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Jason. How you doing, buddy? Uh, not too bad. We, uh, you know, we've reached another milestone. We have our first reoccurring guest with us tonight, huh? And how different the shows are going to be. <laughs> Who do we have tonight? We have a good friend, Dr. Dan Evering, um, joined us previously uh, when we were talking about calf injuries and, uh, and James Harden. And now it's going to be an entirely different atmosphere. Dan, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you guys for having me again. Um, happy to be the, the first recurring <laughs> guest. Um, and today is definitely going to be a very different, very different show. So. I mean, we went from one end of the spectrum with calf strains, um, yeah. which, you know, as we had talked about, our, our complex injuries to, to manage and return an athlete to the field. But, you know, tonight we're going to be speaking about Christian Eriksen. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners have heard at this point, the Danish soccer player uh, Saturday uh, collapsed on the field and had to be resuscitated back to life. You know, so I, I think it's a testament to your to your knowledge, to your ability that we can bring you on to have you talk about both things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess so. I mean, it was a you know scary situation for sure. I mean, I was, was showing the video to my wife and it's just one of those things where anybody who sees something like that is just, just traumatizing. So I can only imagine what was going on on the field with his teammates and his family members there too. So, I mean, but it's a good topic to talk about just so people are aware of it and what yeah. to do and what to look for. So here's what we know, right guys? Um, Christian Eriksen, 29 year old Danish soccer player, plays for the Denmark national team, also plays for Inter Milan. Um, he was, uh, it was about the 43rd minute of the match against Finland and he just goes down and, uh, you know, the, the medical staff runs out there and, Chest compressions were administered, first aid, CPR. We were talking about this before we started recording. We don't know if it was a translation issue or, or what, but the term heart massage was was thrown out there. Uh, I think it the three makes of us it sound were, a little nice. Yeah. Right? Like, 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 can I get one of those heart I, massages? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, I don't know. The three of us, I, I don't know if it was just that they were trying to figure out the right wording in English to right. re relay that message. But um, maybe they're trying to downplay a little bit the significance of what yeah. was going on before they realized just you know, how obvious it mm -hmm. was, just how serious mm -hmm. it was. Um, or, or like you said, maybe, maybe it's lost in translation. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he was carried off the field on a stretcher. Um, we do know, um, and, you know, thank goodness, but he, he left the stadium that afternoon alert from all, all reports that were given. We know uh, from, you know, a press release from his Inter Milan club that um, he didn't have any kind of pre-existing uh, pre condition that they were aware of. He, he's passed all of their physical exams over the last few years. And I'm sure something Dr. Evans is going to touch on, they stated that he did not contract COVID at any time, although they, he did not have the vaccine as well. Um, and Dr. Evans can touch on a little bit about that as well. But um, that's what we know. And, and, and thankfully right now he's, he's doing well. He's still in the hospital over there. Um, he made his own Instagram post, uh, giving a thumbs up, um, saying, you know, I'm okay, you know, hyphen given the circumstances, but I think that's a positive sign so far. I'm sure he's going through a battering of testing. Uh, but Dr. Ebner, if you could help us out, um, with, you know, kind of what you think went down. Yeah, so I mean, it's a uh, it's a little bit tricky to talk about without all the sort of particulars, but um, you kind of outlined it really well. You know, one of the things that you notice 
um, when he first goes down is, you know, he's completely limp. And um, that just kind of lets you know that he basically, you know, cardiac arrest was kind of like sudden and instant. Um, it took a second or two, I think, before people kind of realized, you know, just watching the video that something really serious was going on. But credit to, you know, the player and I think the referee was kind of right on it. It only took a couple seconds and they were kind of urgently calling for the medical staff. Um, you know, in looking at the video um, a couple of times, it seemed like the trainers were out there relatively quickly and they were kind of assessing the situation, which is super important. I mean, I know obviously we know what happened now, but at the time you don't really know exactly what you're dealing with. So you got to go through all of the sort of check marks, right? Um, seeing if he is alert, awake, is, did he just pass out? Is this exhaustion? Um, you don't know if he came into the match with any pre-existing sort of injuries that were kind of nagging and they were kind of looking for that. Um, but I think they did a good job of of recognizing pretty quickly that something serious was going on. Uh, you could see them stabilize his neck. They kind of looked at his airway. They definitely checked the pulse. And then, you know, once they made the decision, obviously, to call out the medical team, um, it wasn't too long after that before they, you know, decided to, to start ch chest compressions, which um, I think ultimately, um, you know, was obviously the right call, but uh, definitely helped save uh, his brain function. And, and then following that, you know, he was um, administered the AED and defibrillated, which I think ultimately saved his life. Um, and, and that's something that I think we'll talk about a little bit later too. But um, that is, is so key to have that readily available. Um, but uh, some of the takeaways that I had from, from just kind of watching it um, as it unfolded was uh, you could definitely tell a couple things. One, um, the staff was, was well organized and, and well run, which is extremely important in these situations. Um, and it's something that I think, um, you know, we all try to look for, right? Preparation is key. And they, and they did, they definitely seemed prepared, um, which was very encouraging. And then two, um, everybody had a role uh, in terms of, you know, knowing what to do and, and kind of playing that role out. And, and it was nice to see his teammates kind of, you know, crowd around and, and give the, the medical team some, you know, some privacy and, and, and let them work on him a little bit. And then three, obviously, you know, getting him getting him stabilized, getting him off the field, and, and getting him worked up. So I think the next steps for him are going to be to try to find out why this happened. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, sudden cardiac events happen uh, to athletes. Um, one of the most commons is, you know, uh, hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy. Um, but it could be an arrhythmia. It could be something else. And, and the COVID-19 um, um, statement, I think, is important for a couple of reasons. One, I think, you know, the, the uh, former team wanted to make sure that, you know, they sort of eliminated the possibility that this could be uh, related to uh, myocarditis, which is something that uh, can happen in athletes who have contracted COVID. Um, you know, we, we kind of understand now that the COVID-19 virus does have an affinity for heart tissue uh, that is very similar uh, to its affinity for lung tissue. And we're still trying to understand what that does to the heart long term and, and what it can mean for our athletes. Um, and, and I'm not really sure exactly what him having the vaccine would or would not have done. Uh, I mean, obviously now if they did a COVID test and he came up positive, I think that would be something that um, they would have to look into. But um, I think the next steps are just gonna be trying to find out you know, what went wrong and, and if it can be prevented um, from happening again. I find it interesting. One of the things that you had said was that they recognized it so quickly. And especially in soccer, there's such uh, an emphasis play, placed on flopping. All these guys flop all the time. And, and you, you could see how if that were the case, it could potentially delay the, the treatment response if they don't 
realize this is not a flop right away. And I think it was just such, it's just so different than the standard flop where, you know, the guy's rolling around and grabbing his ankle before they come out and spray the miracle spray on there and they're, they're up and running again. Um, in this scenario, like, he just went right down. Right? Yeah. And, and credit to, to, like you said, the player that was standing right there and saw it happening and, and waved people on, like, immediately and, and to the ref that waved people on. Uh, on the flip side, something else that you said where, you know, his players, his teammates shielded him, which was while this, you know, sort of gruesome event is, un is unfolding and I admire them for what they were trying to do. I was a little surprised at the broadcast to keep going back and showing what yeah. was going on. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's very interesting for us to watch, but, you know, for the general public and for, for the respect for the player and respect for his girlfriend who they kept showing right. over and over again. I was a little surprised yeah. that they went down that road um, and they didn't cut the commercial or cut to something else or say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. But I don't know, maybe the sake of ratings or one up, but they did. They kept going right back yeah. to it and it, showing it. It's a fine line, I think. I mean, this is just my opinion. I'm not in the broadcast world, but it is definitely a fine line between, you know, what's important and, and kind of giving people information and then, you know, having respect for you know, what could have been an extremely dire situation. I mean, obviously things turned out okay, but yeah, having the cameras kind of on him as he's essentially, you know, dead on the field is, is definitely something that I think was hard to watch and, and something that maybe if, if people went back, they, they would not have done. But I can understand the, the desire to provide that information to people who are concerned. Um, but I also, you know, being on the other side of it, uh, understand the need for sort of allowing the, the medical staff and, and personnel and the player and his family just that privacy of you know not showing something like that uh, repeatedly. Uh, I, re I read an article um, uh, after this had happened about a player, another another European soccer player. I think it was an Italian player, but I don't know that for sure. Who also similarly a uh, sudden cardiac event on the field, and they did not resuscitate him quite as quickly, but they did eventually resuscitate him, and he did suffer some uh, some level of brain damage as a result of you know of the brain not receiving adequate oxygenation. Let me ask you, Dan. You know, in in this particular situation. Again, we're not 100% sure of the cause, and we'll talk a little bit about potential causes. But, you know, what do you think the role is for CPR uh, versus versus the, 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 the defibrillator, the AED that they brought in? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question and, and kind of a good point. And, and when I say recognize it quickly, I think, you know, if you're somebody watching the video and saying, well, why didn't they, you know, do CPR right away? How come they didn't roll them over right away? I mean, I think you do have to understand that, again, it's... A, very easy to go back and say, well, we know we had a heart event, but you know, you don't really know that right when you're getting onto the field. So when I say they recognize it quickly, I mean, they went through the check, check boxes very quickly. They, they did recognize the event. And when they did, they did all of the right steps. Um, and so I think CPR is extremely important um, because as we, we always say, time is tissue. So, you know, when you start CPR, you are moving the blood around. Yes, it's not as ventilated as it would otherwise be, but you're moving it and hopefully delaying you know, tissue damage just in time for you to get that AED on. So brain, see, brain tissue included. Brain tissue included, absolutely. So, um, and when you are starting CPR, that is the first life-saving event. Um, we know um, through a lot of hard work by a lot of researchers um, that in most of these sudden cardiac events when it comes to athletes, um, the vast majority tend to be related more towards arrhythmias. And so a defibrillator is absolutely essential for saving lives. So starting CPR is essential in terms of starting that process. But without an AED, this could have been a very, very different outcome. Because then the heart doesn't restart on it. Exactly. And so what we know, I think, from 
the statement that the uh, physicians made is that it was one defibrillation and they got him back. Um, and so again, very lucky in that sense, but that's not atypical. Uh, and again, because we know the heart is, the event, excuse me, is usually related to an arrhythmia, um, shocking it back into a normal rhythm is, is very, very important. I can say, I won't speak for the two of you, but I can say I've never been even remotely close to a similar situation. Um, so, you know, I, I think about what the medical staff went through, but you know, given the circumstances, you have to think about the players, the coaches, the referees, uh, the family that was in attendance. Dr. Frey, were you at all surprised about the fact that they did restart the game after a short delay? And I know that became a little bit of a controversy whether or not, you know, it, really you're talking about someone's life versus the importance of finishing that game. Right. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I was surprised. I was. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess I understand where they're coming from, but I was surprised. You know, I've heard criticisms of it. I heard one of the criticisms being that you shouldn't have given the players or put, put the onus of that decision on the players and the team. At that point, you make the decision for them because they're in no position to make that decision. But I can also easily criticize the alternative approach where you just make the decision for the players, not let the players have any say in the matter. I think it's important or a big factor here was the fact that um, he was revived before they made that decision. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that they went on and played it. Uh, I, I just would have expected, you know, that maybe they would have canceled or maybe they would have forfeited. You would think would be a very hard game for his teammates, especially to continue playing after seeing that happen. You know, I think that Denmark was 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 favored over Finland. The truth is, I don't know that for sure. Um, they lost that game. Uh whether or not you know this factored into that, I have to imagine it did, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how could it not? Yeah, just a little bit surprising given the, the gravity of what had just transpired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have to agree with that. I, I was, I was pretty surprised that they they decided to continue that game. You know, in the moment, um, I can understand. You know, if he had got it carted off with a torn ACL and, mm -hmm. and something like that, but you know, to have what you had happen and to have, you know. 10, 15, 20 minutes of this person on the field. I, I don't know how anybody could have been sort of not thinking other, otherwise. And, and then they went to the locker room and they had to like kind of sit and dwell on, yeah. you, you know, and, and thankfully you know, they had revived them, but they had to go sit and dwell on what they had just witnessed, you know, right. and then, okay, everybody go back out. We're going to warm up. We're going to play two more minutes of the first half and then we'll do an abbreviated halftime right. and then we'll just go back. And it's like, right. I mean, how important are these last – 47 minutes yeah, it, truthfully you know it's, and, un, it's unfortunate and i think obviously if you put the onus on the players these are competitors these yeah. are guys who are going to try to rise to the occasion but I, I i tend to agree in certain situations it can be good to sort of take the, the onus off of the warriors and, and kind of make yeah. that decision for them yeah dr Irving, so we we know he's still in the hospital over there and um as we'd said earlier you know he had stated you know I'm okay, given the circumstances. So things are looking up. What is happening for him right now uh, over there? What is he going through? They, they mentioned battery of testing. Can you go into a little bit more detail about, you know, what exactly Christian's experiencing right now? Yeah, so, I mean, I would imagine, um, you know, one of the first things was he was transferred to the ICU and probably spent uh, some time in there with uh, some extensive cardiac monitoring, um, obviously a ton of blood work to uh, look and see how much damage was done to his heart and how much damage was done to his brain. I'm sure he's having, um, and it may have already had a numerous amount of scans in terms of making sure he didn't have other events that can happen when you have a sudden cardiac event, such as a stroke, um, renal failure, damage, and other things like that. 
Um, and then I think the, the phase two after he stabilized and making sure there's nothing else coming around the corner is that you're looking for what could have caused this. And so he's having, I'm sure, a ton of EKGs, which are sort of when you take a picture of the electrical activity in the heart. Um, he is probably having stress tests, uh, echocardiograms, which um, are ultrasound sort of images of the heart. And, and my guess is that in an athlete like this, after this kind of event, they would probably also want to do an MRI of the heart uh, to kind of get a full picture of the structure. Um, that's just to start. And then based on what they find, they can do more testing um, to kind of go from there. I mean, we've, we've gone on previous episodes where we've gone on record and, you know, things like that. And I think for something as serious as this, that goes out the window. But I don't know if there are percentages. What would you expect to find out down the road? Um, you know, even if you're going to give us five different diagnoses here. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we know that there are some very common um, uh, issues that can cause this. And I think the most common is, you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And, and that's really just a thickening of the, you know, one of the, the chambers of the heart. Uh, and in particular, it's the left ventricle, which is sort of the main, um, you know, pumper to the, the, the blood to the rest of the body. Um, and that thickening involves you know, not only the outer lining, but the inner lining um, in this. And that can really compromise you know, not only the heart muscle's ability to pump blood, but also the electrical activity. And again, that kind of goes back to um, what we were saying before. So um, with that being compromised, it, it can happen you know, instantaneously where it's just enough of a strain in just the right moment. Um, that leads to an abnormality and, and leads to a sudden cardiac event. Um, but there are a bunch of other um, conditions that we know can cause this, um, in particular um, some other electrical abnormalities and, and you know, some electrical blockages. Um, so there's, there's going to be some things that they look into and, and maybe even some uh, family history of things that you know, they'll kind of go back and, and try to discover. And this could be you know, also a simple case of did he have some you know, blocked arteries or things like that. So, I mean, there's, there's a whole vast um, you know, array of, of things they can look for. But I would bet they would start with uh, looking at the size of the heart, um, the contraction of the heart, and then you know, testing out the uh, electrical signals in the heart. I find it interesting also that you mentioned COVID-19 and that the team came right out and made a statement immediately about COVID-19 because I feel like that's a new player in this in this particular issue that you know didn't exist before and, and, and that's a big concern with uh, myocarditis and, and or pericarditis that it's sort of a game changer if someone does did or does have COVID-19 and they're out there and they're playing on the field and they're exerting themselves. There may be a high level risk that we just don't quite truly understand at this particular point in time. Yeah, and, it, and it's tough because I think we've been having the same conversation with COVID since it started, right? There's a lot of things we don't know. And, and luckily, there are some things that we do know, which is very helpful and, and have you know, hopefully saved a lot of lives. Um, but there's, there's going to be some effects that we won't really know the magnitude of until we kind of get down the road. And so this is one of those things that just makes you think and, and hopefully, um, you know, it will not increase, you know, the risk of this happening uh, to a greater extent. But, you know, we won't know that until until we really do. Jason, th to answer your question also before, I, th I think some of the other things that you're concerned about are uh, congenital abnormalities of the coronary artery system. So the heart itself is a muscle, right? And it's a, it's a muscle that's beating nonstop all the time and so it needs a it needs a lot of oxygen itself and it needs nutrition itself so what provides that oxygen and nutrition to the heart muscle itself are the coronary arteries so as you get a little bit older it becomes a little bit it's concerning because if you start to having some some blockages in those arteries you're at risk for a heart attack um, um, uh, but when you're younger under the age under the age of 35 a concern would be some congenital anomalies if your coronary arteries don't really wrap the heart the way 
they're supposed to appropriately, and you may have a little area that may not be getting quite enough nutrition or quite enough oxygen, and that could, could send you down this road. Um, I think Marfan syndrome is a concern. There's, there's an entity called Commotio cordis, which we're about to talk about, I suspect, which was not the case in this particular situation, at least watching it, but, but also a, a significant concern. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about Commotio cordis? Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, Commotio cordis is, is a very specific and rare condition where basically, uh, again, going kind of back to that electrical impulse um, of the heart, um, there is an impact or a blow that happens um, at the perfect time, um, at the start of one of those electric so start of one of those electrical signals. The exact right or wrong. Time. Exactly true. <laughs> there, yeah, and it's it's really, I mean, one in a million chance, right? It's it's kind of being struck by lightning almost, and the impact basically blocks that electrical signal and causes sudden cardiac arrest. And there have been, um, you know, some reports of this happening a lot of times on baseball diamonds and in uh, contact sports where a, a blow to the chest can kind of cause. Um, you know, this to happen. I, I actually have uh, a colleague of mine who it happened to on, on a, a baseball field at a Little League game uh, probably about seven years ago. And again, same situation, um, you know, tried to recognize it right away. And, and luckily they had an AED on hand and, and that young man's life was, was safe. But it can be very scary when it's happened. Isn't it? So I live in a town called Haddonfield. Um, my son plays lacrosse uh, for Haddonfield Youth League at this point in time. You know, they get to play on the high school field every now and again. It's very exciting when they do. You know, I guess it's just part of the training. I make a mental note. I know that there's an AED in the men's bathroom at the stadium in Haddonfield. Yep. In, the, in the ridiculous, unlikely, off-chance event that something happens that I know where I'm going to run to grab the AED as quickly as I can. Absolutely. I think everybody... Uh, every parent should should do the same thing. But I think as a medical professional, uh, one of the things I try to tell, uh, you know, obviously myself, but anybody else that I'm training with is, you know, as a physician, you are on that field for that reason, right? You are there in case something terrible happens. So you you should be prepared and, and preparation is so important and you can prepare um, in the moment, right? That those reflexes have to kind of be there already um, so that there is no panic. There is a smooth transition of care. Um, and that's why I give those those um, medical members a, a lot of credit. But it's, it's right. true. I do the same thing. You, know, you have to know where everything is, right? You know where the ambulance is. You know where the AED is. You know where all your supplies are. And if you um, haven't thought about it beforehand, you're not going to be yeah, able to no, respond. Because in that moment, things are very chaotic, right? You've got to got to make a lot of decisions. So you really do need to know where, where your tools are. Um, and one of the things I did want to kind of touch on, you know, we had talked about, uh, I think, Jason, you had brought up, the fact that he passed all of his, you know, you know, pre-participation um, physicals and, and everything looked normal. And, and that's uh, actually not really abnormal. And I, I know a lot of people will probably be wondering, well, how could they not catch this beforehand? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, some of the testing that we do in these you know, pre-participation physicals are, I don't want to say, you know, um, underwhelming, but, you know, it's, it's really hard to catch some of these um, subtle. subtle diseases and, and, and tricky things without doing a battery of tests that really, one, every athlete should not be you know, subject to because they can be fairly invasive. And two, um, catching this before it happens, uh, even with all the right testing, can still be very difficult. Now, with, you know, with, with HCM, we, we typically look for uh, EKG findings, and, um, and that usually shows up in about 90% of cases. But even without you know, those specific EKG findings, um, you can still kind of you know, you know, have it and, and it just won't show up. You, you listen for a murmur, right? The, yeah. the mid-systolic crescendo, decrescendo. 
made, made, made louder with the uh, Valsalva maneuver. Um, so for people, that, that's just a very specific type of a murmur. And a Valsalva maneuver is something where you kind of increase the pressure. You kind of, I guess you blow out against a, a fixed object. So either holding your nose or, or sort of shutting your throat and um, trying to blow out again and increasing the pressure in your chest. That, that makes that particular murmur a little bit louder and you know when we go through our pre-participation physicals this is one of the things you're looking for that you're also looking for family history right yeah that's we, a big one specifically ask them and then that sends you down a pathway or, or raises that little red flag hey high alert on this right. particular situation and you and you can't ask hey did somebody have a certain cardiac event when they were a kid i mean usually it's you're asking did somebody pass away in a single car accident without anybody knowing did somebody have a drowning event you know, without anybody knowing. I mean, there's there's subtle questions that you can ask to try to get this history because, again, a lot of these issues go undiagnosed, and, and unless somebody has, you know, even with an, an autopsy, it can be very difficult to find. So, I'm assuming if this could have happened to a 29-year-old who's playing for the Danish national team, so let's assume he's in peak physical condition. Like you. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I, I think it goes without saying then that, I mean, this could happen to anybody. Right. And, and does this kind of highlight the importance of routine visits to your primary care doctors? I, I, I absolutely think so. Um, I think it helps. Um, but, you know, the, the hard part is it's, it's one of those where um, even with, with good follow-up care, it can be tricky yeah. to, to find. I think what, what I understand of, of you know, professional sports, especially in Europe, uh, is that they do probably a little bit more cardiac screening, mm -hmm. um, especially with the professional athletes. So I'm sure he's had a number of EKGs and he may have even had a cardiac you know, echo, you know, mm -hmm. ultrasound of the heart. And my understanding is obviously they didn't pick up anything. So and yet it slipped through. Exactly. Right. So it's and we, tough. We're saying that. I'm, I'm saying it slipped through. But the truth is, I don't know that it slipped through. We really don't know right. what the cause know. was here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a very special guest lined up uh, for the next segment of the show. We're going to go ahead and get her on the line. Uh, in the meantime, why don't we hear from Frank Price here at Neck of the Woods? Frank, my favorite thing that I've had here so far is the stay in the car, Frank. We've talked about it on a previous episode. Go into a little bit more detail about the beer itself, where it originated from, and why is it so tasty? Yeah, full disclosure, that's my favorite beer, too. So, uh, you know, stay in the car, Frank. Hey, look, it sounds like a line from like a Hollywood movie, yeah. right? Well, pretty much around here, that that line has been kind of thrown around a lot. Hey, it's the name of our flagship IPA. What makes it, in my opinion, like so special, hopped with citra, mosaic, Eldorado, those are all juicy, citrusy hops. It's light, it's dry, refreshing. Actually, for this beer, you may not want to stay in the car. <laughs> you might want to stop out, come to the brewery, try one for yourself. And the stay in the car, Frank, right? I mean, that's uh, not only is it on tap here at Neck of the Woods, but you can get it canned to go? Absolutely. So it'll always be on tap here just because that is definitely our flagship IPA. And we will always have cans of it, too. But we're also located in 30 different liquor stores in the South Jersey area. So you can find us. You can go on our website, neckofthewoodsbrewing.com. Click the Find the Beer tab there. You can figure it out from there. And welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. Uh, we're going to finish up the conversation here on Christian Erickson. And um, we are going to be bringing in uh, Tracy Rarick, a athletic trainer, and more importantly, a fellow Westchester University athletic training program alum. Uh, Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Go Rams. <laughs> um, so you are at Pope John Paul II School on Royersford, PA? Yes. So we're right outside of Philly, but the opposite way. So it's Montgomery County, like Collegeville, Springford area, Royersford. Okay. And how long have you been there now? So I started at Pope John Paul in 2013. So uh, it's been about eight school seasons that I've been there. And I'm sure none more challenging than the past one. It was it was crazy with all the cancellations, yeah. the archdiocese canceled sports altogether, and then they changed their mind. So we were scrambling for games. It was crazy. Well, we let off the show. Uh, we have Dr. Evering here and Dr. Frey, as usual. We were talking about the Christian Erickson uh, incident from over the weekend um, when he went into cardiac arrest on the field. And it had me thinking about uh, about you and your experiences. And truthfully, Tracy, I, I know very little about it, um, but I was hoping right. that maybe you could kind of share your experiences and um, kind of what you went through as the athletic trainer. Sure. So in 2018, on the first day of spring sports, so it was March 5th, um, which is already a crazy day to begin with, collecting paperwork, making sure people are eligible to play, during the last 15 minutes of softball practice, a freshman girl suffered a cardiac arrest. She was participating in a pop fly drill and just kind of dove to catch the ball and then went into cardiac arrest. Um, the softball coach, because we were inside, because we also had practices going on inside, called and said that they had a girl seizing on the softball field, which is kind of similar to Christian Erickson because they first had thought he was having a seizure and then quickly realized that she had no pulse. She wasn't breathing. She was starting to turn blue. Um, so myself and my assistant started CPR. Um, we had to end up shocking her twice and we did two to three rounds of CPR before EMS showed up. Once EMS showed up, they took over. They actually had a Lucas machine, which is the machine that does the compressions for you. And then they shocked her one more time before they finally got her to convert. And she was taken to Phoenixville Hospital and then airlifted to CHOP in Philadelphia. And what did you know about her coming in? I mean, I'm sure it's tough as a freshman. Um, I mean, were you aware of any kind of pre-existing conditions at that point? No. So I knew nothing of the student. I had never met her before. She had just had her physical two weeks before because in the state of Pennsylvania, you have to have a physical before you play sports. Sure. And she was cleared from the physical um, without any complications. However, physicals um, typically don't involve any type of heart screening versus just history questions and listening to your heart sounds. As follow up to that experience, Tracy, um, was there ever a diagnosis made after the fact as to what was the cause for her particular sudden cardiac? Like every cardiac arrest person that ends up surviving, she went through multiple stress tests. She went through multiple EKGs and echoes. They even had to do um, familial testing to find out they never were able to diagnose her with anything. So they said she had idiopathic ventricular fibrillation. Was she, did she return to sports at any point during? Uh, she her did. Stint? So this was her freshman year and then sophomore year, she was back out for softball. Um, it did limit her to what she could play. Like she can't play any like fully contact sport. 
and she had to wear like um it, it we were kind of laughing at her because it basically <laughs> looked like an iron man vest right. that she had to wear like under her jersey just in case she had any contact to the chest i suppose that that would be because they were concerned about commotio cordis if she takes the the an impact on the chest at the exact right or Correct. wrong time so the only treatment for idiopathic ventricular fibrillation yeah. is a an internal defibrillator right so they need it to protect the defibrillator as well as any other contact to the chest so, so that's she, why she had to wear so she had a defibrillator placed she did after yep tracy as the athletic trainer um I mean, do you, do you, I can't imagine you don't often don't think back to that day. Uh, it, it comes up basically in my mind every single day. Yeah. What am I going to do? Where can I, where should I sit? Mm -hmm. How quickly am I going to be able to get to this field? Where do we need to put AEDs so they're available to anybody that's using this campus? It's, it's a constant battle even within my own head. Cause you know, athletic trainers, we work a lot to begin with mm -hmm. and I can't, possibly be there for any and all like mm -hmm. off-season workouts and Sunday workouts and lifts and everything so it's it's definitely a, an internal struggle and and Tracy we were talking earlier about the the need for preparation and it sounds like obviously this event has um, not only sort of made you more prepared but can you one touch on you know what you guys um, and your team were doing maybe before this to, to get prepared and some of the things that you do and and then two has having gone through this event has it had any sort of major impact on what you guys do now before uh, the uh, cardiac arrest at the school there was only five people in our building that were CPR certified including myself my assistant athletic trainer and the two nurses so that's not a big population of people that are trained. So one of my biggest things that I wanted to take care of ahead of time was trying to get as many people as we could trained in CPR and AD. So after that, we got about 25 to 30 people, um, including coaches trained in CPR and AD usage. Um, Pennsylvania has a law in place where coaches have to take training when it comes to cardiac arrest. They have to do, it's like an hour video and it finishes with a quiz so that they're familiar with the signs and symptoms of cardiac arrest and what to do in the event of an emergency. Um, I've petitioned and gone to the administration at my school telling them that we need to have more AEDs on our campus because our campus is pretty large mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be able to get to an AED and back to the person within three minutes and there are parts of our campus that would never be possible. Um, so yeah. we're working on getting more AEDs and just generally getting more people educated and feeling comfortable with doing CPR and working the AED so that we're prepared if it ever happens again. And I'm sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you got uh, pretty involved with the American Red Cross. Is, is this all um, what you had them get involved with, getting all the coaches CPR certified? Right. So it, it's the American Heart Association. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. Yep. <laughs> I do that all the time. Yep. <laughs> um, so the American Heart Association were kind of leading the charge in Pennsylvania to get a law passed that all students in high school at least have to learn hands-only CPR prior to graduation. Like it has to be included in the curriculum. So it was right around the same time that um, the cardiac arrest happened that they were leading this big push to get people CPR certified and learning hands-only CPR. So it just kind of fit perfectly. So Maeve and I had a lunch 
uh, spoke at a lunch for donors for the Heart Walk to talk about the importance of CPR and AED. Maeve is the girl's name. She actually led the Heart Walk that year in 2019, hmm. um, kicked it off. So that was fun. And so we're just trying to let people know how important it is to learn CPR, even just hands-only CPR, and how to use an AED because over 350,000 people a year suffer cardiac arrest outside of hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, not all of those people survive. And in, in the city of Philadelphia, which is our closest major city, only 15% of people that suffer an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest actually get help from bystanders. So that's that's a very low number considered. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Tracy, I'm sure I'm not the first one to tell you this, but, I mean, you know, what you did for that young girl was, I mean, absolutely heroic. Um, what is your relationship with her now? I, I can't imagine that you guys aren't in close contact. So we are. Um, yeah. Her parents text me multiple times every week. We're very close. Yeah. She actually just graduated high school uh, last Wednesday. So yeah. she's going to go on to Cabrini to become a nurse. All right. But yeah, we're very close. She's, yeah. you know, second family. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah. Trace, I, I mean, hats off to you, you know, what you did for her and um, I, I, I can't ever imagine being in that situation. And, uh, I mean, I mean, what you did was absolutely tremendous. Right. Way to respond. Definitely something you learn about, but you don't owe any ever think that you're going to have to do it. Absolutely. Yep. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks. Have a good night. Thanks, Tracy. You too. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I don't think it would be an episode of Sports Medicine on Tap without talking about some NBA injuries. What do you think, Doc? It's that time of the year. That's what we got to do. That's right. Let's do it. Well, I think the, the the big, the most recent one was the lateral ankle sprain to Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. You know, it, it looks like just about every, as the athlete will tell you, I rolled my ankle. Uh, he, he goes up for a shot. Giannis actually comes in underneath him mm -hmm. um, inadvertently, but uh, Kyrie comes down, lands on his, on his foot, uh, and then that ankle inverts um dr fred you want to touch a little bit more on that yeah very typical mechanism for a lateral ankle sprain what a departure from what we were just talking about right but but this is uh this is certainly more more the sports medicine standard sports medicine speed so so person comes down lands on lands on another guy's foot you know Kyrie lands on Giannis's foot rolls his ankle kind of rolls it to the outside a very standard mechanism for ligaments, which are like ropes on the outside of the ankle to begin to tear or at the very least stretch. Um, uh, that's what we would standardly call a, lat a lateral ankle sprain. We've gone through a high ankle sprain, which is a little bit different. And a really bad lateral ankle sprain can turn into a high ankle sprain, um, depending on how far it goes. Uh, can also turn into a medial ankle sprain at some, at some point if there's a twisting moment. But pretty typically when you roll to the outside like that, you stretch the ligaments. There's a ligament that's in the front, the ATFL, anterior talofibular ligament. That tends to be the weakest ligament and the one that's under the most stress with that particular moment. And that's the one that tends to go first and it kind of works its way right across around the outside of the ankle towards the back. The CFL, calcaneofibular ligament, is the one that tends to go next and then uh, onto the posterior or back, uh, posterior tibial fibular ligament. Um, and then in you know really bad situation, go around to the, to the inside portion, to the medial side. Um, it sounds like Kyrie sustained a standard lateral ankle sprain, which is probably 
generally good news for him in terms of, you know, in comparison to a medial or high ankle sprain. Um, but not always, right? They're, people don't always bounce back from these things immediately. I think it's a little easier when you're a little bit younger. You're, you know, 18 and, you ha and it happens. You bounce back a little more quickly. You're 25 or you're 30, you're 32, or you're 33, and it could take a little longer. Uh, Dr. Evan, we Kyrie left the game, uh, game four, didn't return, um, and he left the arena in a in a walking boot and crutches. Is that enough to speculate this could be more than a lateral ankle sprain? Because um, the video looked, you know, pretty telltale, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, we can speculate, but it's it's actually not uncommon even with an ankle yeah. sprain. I mean, I. I'd, I'd be honest, when I first saw him go down, I was worried that he, he actually had a, a fibula fracture, not just a sprain. Um, so it was good news to hear that the x-rays seemed to be negative. Um, you know, one of the things you can't see on the x-ray, obviously, is the ligament damage. And as, as Dr. Frey kind of alluded to, um, there are multiple ligaments that can tear with just one injury. Uh, and so the boot and, and even the crutches may sound like overkill for just a regular ankle sprain, but you really don't know the grade until you examine. And I'm sure he's had an MRI by now, and they really know what the grade is. And, and we really use the grading system based on how many of those ligaments tear, how bad the tearing is, and, and, and how, how stable the joint feels when you examine the patient. Uh, so no, I wasn't surprised to see him in a boot. Uh, and, and knowing who he is and what he means to that team, not surprised to see him in crutches either. Isn't it amazing? Uh, we were here one week ago, last Tuesday night, uh, and on that episode we had said, man, the Nets are cruising. And, I mean, they look poised to run away with it. Um, Dominant. And here we are exactly one week later. They've only played two games in that, and now the series is tied back up 2-2. Two to two. Kyrie's uncertain for the foreseeable future. Uh, Harden's kind of up in the air and how much things have changed in only a week. Right? Yeah. They look oh. like a regular team. I mean, injury yeah. is the great equalizer. You went from too many superstars to mm -hmm. not enough in, in the span of a couple of days. Yeah, and it certainly changes the, the, the outlook for the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, you know, whether or not uh, uh, Milwaukee's gonna be able to, you know, pull this series out. Um, and, and now it sounds like they're gonna be you know, James Harden went from out to, you know, now it's questionable and, you know, wondering if they could be possibly rushing him back too early. Sense of urgency. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 And, and we've, we've discussed hamstrings and, and calves on this podcast before. So uh, I, I, I get the sense that James is not coming back for this series. I don't know. We'll see. I, yeah, I, we'll I agree see. with you. My, my gut, especially when it, when he first, you know, grabbed at that hamstring again, but, but they were cruising at that point in time. My gut right. was um, most certainly not during this series um, and, you know, maybe one or two games in, or two or three games into the next series. But all of a sudden, the sense of urgency goes yeah, up. And, you know, I guess we'll see what happens um, with, this, with this next game. Maybe he plays if he doesn't play. And if they don't win, um, I think there's actually a pretty reasonable chance we see him for the game after that, right? right? Like if I mean, we can see him. The question, you know, of course, is how long will he last? And right. we know with the second hamstring pull, I mean, his chance of having another injury is, is so high. I would think they would hopefully want to make him ready, but you're right. If it's game seven and all the all the marbles are out there, I mean, he might have to play. So, so we'll, we'll see. So if Harden can't come back and play, or if he comes back and goes back down again, um, what do you think, uh, what, are, what are you expecting out of uh, Kyrie's injury here? So that, that one's a little bit uh, trickier. I mean, you know, if it is, you know, a milder ankle sprain, you can hope for, you know, maybe one or two weeks, you know, with the right kind of rehab. If it's a little bit more significant, it can be up to four to six, um, depending on that. So, but I also think that ankle sprains tend to do better with rushing back, you know, with the right bracing, tape jobs, things like that. You can stabilize that ankle. 
uh, and really kind of get it get it ready for game time more so than a hamstring or, or something like that. What are some of the concerns, though, um, uh, longer lasting concerns with a, with a with an ankle a lateral ankle sprain? I mean, basically, you know, obviously the the risk of further injury is is definitely uh, up there. Um, when the stability of the ankle is compromised, then you're putting more strain on some of the tendons that wrap around that ankle and help stabilize. And a tendon tear and rupture is could be devastating. And of course, we all are worried about Achilles injuries as well. So uh, anytime you mess up the, stabil the stabilization of the ankle, uh, those tendons uh, tend to be at more risk. But also, you know, there is a, a further risk for him if those ligaments do not heal well, that chronic he could have recurrent sprains and, and chronic instability and that, that may need uh, to be corrected surgically down the line. And I wish I could say this was uh, setting up a clear path for the Sixers uh, to the championship. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I mentioned last week with uh, when we had Dean Millard on with us, the absolute, in my opinion, anyway, the absolute worst case scenario was the Sixers came back from Atlanta, tied 2-2, right. and then suddenly Embiid was questionable because he played through the first four games. Um, and, Prophetic. And, and yeah, and, and we saw game four. I mean, he, I, I don't think, scored a point in the second half. 0 for 12. Uh, looked like he couldn't jump off that leg. I mean, missed what you would hope would be uh, just an easy layup to kind of seal the game at the end. Um, but here we are now. I mean, they're coming back for game five, and we don't really know what Embiid's status is going to be like moving forward. You, you had to put it out there in the universe, didn't you? And Dean, <laughs> Dean already uh, scalded me about it, uh, <laughs> you know, earlier in the day. Um, but that's mm. certainly where we're at now. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to keep our eyes open, for, you know, on both these series now moving forward. Right. There's a small part of you that's like, you know, you really want to play the best competition, but there's a small part of you that is that's like, ooh, maybe we can play the Bucks instead right. of the Nets and yeah. potentially go to the finals, yeah. right? But then you're overlooking the fact that hey, we're, we're locked two-two in, in right. a series with, right. with Atlanta. There are no guarantees yeah. we're making it to the next round without your without potentially your best player. Oh yeah, yeah. then all of a sudden yeah. the chances go down that much more. Yeah. So I think I think you'll find this story a little bit interesting, Jason. So where I went to school, I went to Binghamton, right? Mm -hmm. Up, uh, upstate New York, and I, I wrestled up in Binghamton. And I forget, I don't know when, sophomore year maybe. Um, I'm running down the stairs, some, some girls chasing me down the stairs, and I go to turn the corner at the bottom of the stairs. I'm sprinting down the stairs, and I go to turn the corner really quickly, and I roll my ankle. And um, we had our athletic trainer there. I'm just going to say Chuck. I'm not going to say his last name. Um, so our athletic trainer there is Chuck. And, you know, Chuck was just kind of a hard guy to get along with at times mm -hmm. and yeah uh truth is though once once you sh had shown that you're like you wanted to do better you wanted to get yeah. better you were arriving you were doing the right things to try to recover from your injury you're going to the training room you're doing all the right things he eased up he wasn't he wasn't as tough on you so you know he would always say you get hurt come you come right down here so i did you know i i, I rolled my ankle blew right up it was terrible I get down to the training room. I think it was a weekend, a Saturday or something or other. And and he goes through the exam. And yeah, you sprained your ankle, lateral ankle sprain, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, where I went to school, Binghamton, our wrestling room and the training room was in what's called the East Gym, which was probably about a mile from my dorm, maybe a mile and a half from my dorm. And uh, goes through the exam. And I'm like, all right, you know, like, all right, I'll be down here every day. I'm going to do all the things I need to do. I'm like, can I get a pair of crutches? And he looks at me and he's like, what do you need crutches for? 
And of course, I felt like a wimp. I, I, I guess, I, I guess I don't. And I remember it took me literally like an hour and a half to try to walk home <laughs> on the sprained ankle. And like, like I got home it was just enormous and painful. So it turns out, Chuck had falsified all of his documentation. He actually hadn't wasn't an athletic trainer. Oh he'd been the God. he'd been the guy at the school for like I don't know how many years. But he faked You're it, lying. and he got no. I swear to God. Oh so, so it comes out a few years later that he is not a certified athletic <laughs> trainer, and that was the end of Chuck's job. Oh gosh, he could have ended your career. That's terrible. I guess theoretically, <laughs> but I'll tell you. Actually, I thought the guy knew a lot. I thought he yeah. did a really good job, other than the fact that he sent me home without crutches, which was very frustrating. But, but overall, you know, in general, I also had a knee issue when I was there, and he was kind of right on top of it. I have to say. I don't know what happened there in terms of his training, but but he definitely learned a lot enough to, to really fake it. Oh man, I, I unfortunately have heard a similar story, um, and, I, and I'm not advocating that it's okay to do it. I think I've heard stories where people go through the six years of education and then just don't pass that test at the end. Maybe that's what it was. I don't and know. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, you, you kind of fake it in an interview, and again, not condoning, you know, what had happened, sure. but. Um, yeah, actually, that's not the first time I've heard a similar story like that. Crazy, <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up for tonight. Uh, we're going to close out our tab. Before we do, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, The Energy Lab, South Jersey's premier sports performance destination, Neck of the Woods Brewing Company for hosting us each and every week, Total Turf Experience, and our friends at Timber Reel Productions, Joe Warner, our on-site producer, and Kyle Miller, editor. Dr. Every, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys again for having me. Yep. Dr. Frey? Uh, what a good show, guys. Thanks, Dan, for coming back and joining us for the second time. My pleasure. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care.